But yeah, we got some good stuff coming up. I'm excited about that. Um, hey, today is a weekend of remembrance. And so just to pause for a minute and recognize those who have served, know someone who has served, that has given their life. Um, I recognize you. We honor you. Uh, we see you in the midst of this moment. If you're joining us with online, uh, just even this last year, I've had the honor um, to go to um, a couple different military uh, ceremonies uh, and lay someone to rest. And so I know the uh, distinct privilege that is that I've had. And so, again, we just see you. Um, we um, <clears throat> have a couple things that I wanted to update you about. Last week, I, I made a first announcement about this. I want to follow up for any of those that weren't here, um, I've gotten a lot of questions about, hey, what is it going to look like at church um, after June 15th when regulations change? We've got notification from the, our local uh, governance, the county and the guidelines, etc., that come that Tuesday, June 15th, that in churches as well, the likelihood of it just kind of going back to what was pre-COVID stuff is going to be <clears throat> at the discretion of uh, individual institutions. And so following those guidelines have been really consistent from the beginning, just to let you know what is going to shift or not going to shift when it, Father's Day weekend when it comes to us, is we're going to keep everything on campus right now pretty much the same. We have some social distancing set up in the rooms and how we're laid out with chairs uh, in just kind of the common areas. Um, we have collapsed our kids' area, and so we can handle that well. We're going to keep that going for a couple of months to kind of feel that out. The one thing that will shift just a little bit is we're going to create a mask-only or non-vaccinated section in the middle of our room towards the back so that's comfortable for those who don't yet feel comfortable not wearing a mask if they've been vaccinated, etc. Um, and so that's going to be something that we're going to stop policing. But for now, we still have masks. We're still asking people to wear masks the entire time in here. But that's one of those shifts. And I know a lot of people have reached out and that are concerned about this. And the thing is, is that I'm just trying to be consistent with what we've done from the very beginning and care for everyone involved. And so trying to create spaces um, for us to do that. So those of you who are with us online and are wondering, hey, what's that going to look like in the future? Now you know, those of you who are in the room, what's that going to look like in the future? We're just walking through it together. It's been such a fluid situation. And the important thing is to love each other and to care for each other through all of this. One other thing that I wanted to let you guys know about is that in a couple weeks, we have a members meeting on June 13th. We didn't get to do one last year because of COVID restrictions. And so we get to do an in-person one and an online one. Um, and anyone is actually welcome to that. It's at one o'clock on June 13th in this room online or in San Francisco at the same time. Feel free to come to that. If you're a member, highly encourage you guys to be a part of that as we uh, get to look at what God's gonna be doing here in the future just update on some things that are going on and uh, introduce some new board members. So it's going to be really great. But today I get to kick off our summer series. I know, I just said it out loud. I know it's the last weekend of May, but this is summer. It's here. It's on. This is what we've been waiting for. Um, and uh, we are starting this series. We're going to do an 11-week conversation through the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah wasn't really written chronologically, but we're going to grab some things out of this, specifically this lost calling, exile, and conviction that we're going to see throughout here. And I've brought in some friends that are going to pop in and out um, over the next uh, coming months through the series that have some expertise in this area. One of those just to highlight is June 27th, Brandon McDonough. He uh, runs an organization called Hold Fast Recovery. 
He is, if you saw this years ago in the news back in 2013, he is the sole survivor of the Yarnell fire when 19 other hotshots lost their life. So he was the one that made it through there. Uh, unfortunately, I actually knew one of those men. He was in my youth group and did youth ministry with him, uh, and he passed away in that fire. And so we had just a different connection when it came to that. He's going to come out here and talk about some of that loss, exile, that difficulty stuff, and how we kind of walk through those things and what his life has looked like since then. So just to highlight, really excited about everybody, actually, um, but I wanted to highlight him specifically this weekend. I'll highlight different people as we kind of continue to work our way through this. So Jeremiah, this is really a framework that we're going to use to understand this progression of Jeremiah's life. He's a prophet of God, and in his ministry, in order to think about the way that this loss, calling, exile, and conviction speak to our present moment that we're dealing with. And this week, I've titled this message, You Are Known. Did you know that? You are known. But before we hop into that uh, and what knownness looks like, I want to do a quick overview of this entire book of Jeremiah for you to understand. This is in the Old Testament. So here's a, a glance at this timeline. Jeremiah is a prophet that came in the backside of Israel's kingship era. Um, and he comes in here, and you see it's broken down into some sections that I'm going to highlight when it comes to these chapters. Jeremiah is also actually the longest book in the Old Testament. Uh, it's a challenging, wonderful read. Right here in the beginning, chapters 1 through 24, we see right here, is a, a bunch of poems that is put together. And these poems are explaining that Israel, the people of Israel, aren't acting the way that they are supposed to. In fact, that they are turning away from God. And you see in chapter 7, a sermon that he gives. He actually shows up at the temple and he sees where... They're trying to worship and honor God, and they're you know, doing sacrifices, because that's the sacrificial system was around then. And he literally says, this is all a sham. He even uses really intense language in these poems explaining that you are like an adulterer, that you have uh, cheated on, or you're turning away from God, that you're going towards something else and not relying on God, but you're just doing these things to say, hey, yeah, we're still part of um, God, but we're not living a lifestyle that he has asked us to live. And so he calls it out right here and, and starts to prophesy or explain that there's going to be uh, an exile that takes place or that there's going to be a nation that comes in. And there's a couple nations that are surrounding that area of Judea or Jerusalem. You can kind of take them right in the middle. And then on the side, one side you have Babylon, the biggest nation, and then the other one you have Egypt. And so it's this competitive thing right in between the two. As we kind of work our way through and we get around chapter 23, you see right there where he actually starts to talk about, well, there is going to be a hope, although there's going to be a destruction that comes, he talks about in this poem, because there's going to be judgment that comes upon you, um, that uh, there is going to be this hope because the line of David will be used and renewed to bring a Messiah. doesn't say when, but gives this piece of hope right here, just as he kind of transitions into this next session. This next section right here is all just doom and gloom. Like it is like Babylon specifically is going to come. This is way of God bringing judgment upon you for your actions and the things that you have done. And he's explaining that in detail over and over and over again. It's very gloomy. And you see here in chapter 28, um, he actually gets challenged by another prophet named Hananiah. And Hananiah was saying, hey, Jeremiah, this isn't going to happen. God promised way back here to Abraham, 
you know, hey, we're going to give you blessings for the future. And so God's going to continue to bless us no matter how we act or what we do. And Jeremiah is saying, that's just not true. It's just not true that his judgment is going to come. Then we transition after all this gloom stuff into this period of hope, or it's actually called the book of hope, these four chapters right here, where he talks about that one day this will stop. Like this isn't going to be the forever. This isn't, we're not going to constantly be in exile and taken over. He doesn't give a time period of exactly how long they're going to be in exile, but he says that there is going to be hope for a future, and this reflects back into uh, a future cast of the hope of Jesus right here. Then it, it transitions then to this period of exile. We see for 10 chapters, 11 chapters, just this gruesome story where we've heard about what's going to happen and now we're actually seeing it take place and, and Jeremiah explaining what it's like for this exile to take place. King Nebuchadnezzar coming in from Babylon and destroying Jerusalem, the temple, and um, then um, taking groups of Israelites out back to Babylon with them. And this is the, the first exile that you see is where you get Daniel, Daniel and his buddies. And then in the book of Daniel, explains some more what that looked like. The second time he comes where you get Ezekiel and you get to understand a little bit more what that looks like as you read through there. But just this really difficult season that he's explaining of this is what it's looking like, this destruction that we're actually experiencing together. And then what happens finally in the last few chapters is him them talking about the nations and not just Babylon was used as judgment for Jerusalem um, and the Israelites, but it was that God's actually going to judge Babylon themselves because they're a wicked people uh, and there's going to be hope in a future uh, that's going to be good, that God's going to bring his people back into their land, um, but there's going to be judgment on other nations as well. So really intense book, really powerful um, a lot of it's really sad, but there is a ton to learn and to grasp for this. And I, I uh, encourage you to read it. It's a challenging read through the poems and stuff, but uh, I think that you will benefit from that. And as we kind of grab pieces out of this, as we walk on this journey, I think we're all going to benefit from this in a really powerful way. So summertime is a place, um, there's a place that I go to, that I've gone to for the last 20 years, um, that has a dear and near place in my heart. And this place is called Annette's Mono Village. Annette's Mono Village is on the upper uh, lake of the Twin Lakes, just outside of a town called Bridgeport, on the backside of the 395. The 395 freeway goes on the backside of California. And to get there, you have to go up and take the pass, usually through Tahoe. It's just north of um, Mono Lake and just south of Topaz. Uh, lake. And so it's nestled in on the backside of Yosemite. And I want to tell you that when I go there, I know exactly where I'm going and I know exactly the best spots to go. If you were to go there and say, Larry, where is the best place to camp? Literally, I could point you to the best three places to go camping. And camping specifically, depending on what kind of camping you're going to do. Are you just going to be in a tent? Are you going to be in a trailer? Do you need hookups? Like what area? Do you like the water? Do you like the sound of water? Do you want space where you're just in the trees? Do you want to be close to a restroom or shower? I can lay that down exactly. I can tell you exactly where the bears come down and cross the creek. I know the exact spot. I like camping there because I like to know what they're doing. I like to know what they're up to. I know how to get the bears to shoo 
and go away. It's really crazy. It's this thing I learned about this area that we have friends. Like, we actually know the bears. We go back and we know that bears have gotten bigger, and we've seen them, and they're like gigantic raccoons. They like to be sneaky, but they don't like to be seen by people, and they're scared. Um, so I can show you exactly where they cross. I know exactly where they usually din up, found where they take all your trash when you leave your trash out, and they've gone and grabbed trash. I know the best spot to go fishing. I know exactly where you can walk out on the lake and you can get yourself a hundred yards out into the water and still stand on a sandbar and not go under when everything around you is about 20 feet deep. I know that exact spot. I know exactly how to take it out there so you can see standing the whole time and then it looks like you're standing from here up. I know the exact best place to catch a lunker of a rainbow trout right off of a little creek and a little cove. That's my favorite little cove. I know that exact spot. I know exactly where to put the anchor. I know exactly where to line up because I know how the, the wind pushes you around and the water moves there towards a dam towards the end. I know uh, exactly where to get anything you need at Annette's Mono Village. I know Annette's Mono Village. I have not exhausted the upper twin lake of Annette's Moto Village, meaning that there are things that I'm going to come to know over time as I continue to go there. And even this summer, as I go and spend nine or ten days there, I will learn even more in some back path and the best way to get around this and the best view for this and, and find if there's another angle to get it, see if I can get around the other side of this 300-foot waterfall. I know it. I've come to know it well. Do you have a place like that? Do you have a place like that that you just know so well that you visited, whether it's a city or a sports team that you know everything about or a skill that you have that you've got that very specific vernacular and you understand where a lot of us could make a comment like, oh, yeah, no, I know about that. But you could do like a deep dive when it comes to that because you've sliced it and diced it and chewed on it and investigated it and come to truly know that thing that you love? This is a concept we're going to pull out and we're going to learn in Jeremiah right off the bat in one of his first poems. Jeremiah 1.5. Some of this is familiar to you. It says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I what? Knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, the reason I'm showing you this whole verse is a lot of you just see this one before I formed you in the moon, uh, womb. Uh, I knew you, right? But we don't often read the next part. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, this is very specific. Like most of the Bible is written to very specific people for sp- specific things. You see this even all throughout the New Testament, the letters that are written to specific people about a specific circumstance uh, that they're dealing with. So in the same sense... God is speaking to Jeremiah and saying, hey, I've called you and set you aside to be a prophet for me. Now, there's things that we can learn about who God is when the things that he says to other people. So this right here, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So what do we learn about God here? That he knows us, that he has the ability to know us deeply, intimately, before we even knew ourselves. That this concept that we are known before we even know. We often spend time collectively, anxiously trying to prove ourselves in life. 
We're constantly trying to make ourselves known or to find our way in life. And yet, here's the beautiful thing that we get to learn about God is that we are already known. And we live out of our own knownness. This, friends, is an opportunity for us to find peace For others to find peace, to stop trying to make yourself known and to constantly trying to do better and make sure people see you and the weight that that brings on your life when you're constantly striving just to be known, but to live known, to live seen, and to live loved. We see this before Jeremiah even had to make difficult decisions about his life, God's speaking to him about how to engage in the realities of this changing world that he was born into. Before he has to figure out how to stand up for the way of God when others seem to abandon it. They've put it off to the side. Before he makes countercultural decision, he is first told this. You're known. You're known. And it's out of his knownness that he's able to do what he's called to do with clarity when it's needed. Now, this is a beautiful concept that we get, that we are known. And you can dive deeper in all throughout scriptures and see how much God knows you and how he um, is unveiling, knowing the things like the, the hair on your head and the intimate details of how known you are, and just that concept of you were known from the very beginning just unravels that. You can unpack that. But you are known by God. But how much do you know him? I think that it causes us to ask that other question. Wow, I am fully known by God. At At the smallest, minute levels, But on the other side, how much do you actually know him? I want to tell you that you can know him about as much as you are willing to know. He's infinite. You can't ever stop knowing more. You can't ever, there's not an end to this journey that you go on. See, we enter into a story that's begun long before our lives even started, and it's actually going to continue after our lives end. To this way that you can live well in this story is to direct your attention, our attention to God, whose story precedes ours and continues on after ours, whose story that we're entering into, which is why we can be known before we know. So, can we in our knownness awaken to the possibility of knowing the Almighty like never before in an intimate, specific way? And so some of you might ask, how do we do that? How do I know God in a deeper level and unpack those layers? I want to tell you one of those things that you can do is you can hang on to his attributes. You can look around, what are the attributes of God? So an example that we use lots and you see this all throughout scripture, God is love, right? So you can start with God is love or for God so loved the world that he gave his only son and God loves you this way and he shows his love this way and you see all throughout the life of Jesus, the way that he lived love as a a light of love to others. 
And so as you hang on that, what you would do is you would sit there and say, what are all the different angles that I can see how God is love? How can I see a situation? How can I read every bit of scripture that points me towards the way that God is loving and circumstances in which, which he is loving and caring for another person or caring for me? How can I actually see that lived out in the stories of Jesus? How can I see that lived out in the Old Testament and the New Testament? How can I see that lived out in my own life where I can confess and give gratitude to God because I can see the way that you've loved me and we can just sit there and continue to turn the heart of God until we see this new angle of love and understand that in a deeper way. I want to ask you this. How many of you know that we have a professional baseball team in Oakland? You can use your hands. I'm gonna, we're going to do like stuff together quick. So hands high. Do you know, how many of you know that we have a professional baseball team in Oakland? How many of you know what the name of that team is? Okay. What is it? The, the Oakland A's. Great. Excellent. Okay. So we know that there's a professional baseball team in Oakland. It's the Oakland A's. How many of you know what year the A's were established? A couple of you. I lost everyone there. Oh, I got one. What do you got? 1901. We'll go close. <laughs> How many of you know what city the Oakland A's were first originated in? What's that? Anybody? You got it back there again. Philadelphia. Yes, Philadelphia. Well done. And then went to? There you go. We got a couple people right here in Kansas. Came to Oakland in 1968. There you go. You guys, you guys are actually on this. We got some fans in here. They have won. How many know how many rings that they have won? Couple people? Anybody? Nine, 15 pennants. How many of you know who their current manager is? You raise your hand there. Couple, couple, only a few people. We're losing lots of people. We only got like two that are in trivia right now. They're like, I've been waiting all my life for this. This is good. <laughs> Bob Melvin, right now is the manager. Ace pitcher. How many know the ace pitcher? Okay, ace pitcher, what do you got? Chris? All right, well, I'm going to go with Chris Bassett right now. For this year. All right, we'll do trivia later. This is going to be good. <laughs> okay, so Chris Bassett. So what we could do is we could, um, there's layers, right? Because everyone in here said, you know the Oakland A's. You know they're the Oakland A's. But when we start getting deeper and then it goes into like who has season tickets, then it goes to like, okay, so how many of you know the players? Oh, I know Chris. How many of you know how old he is? He's 32. How many of you have ever spent time with him? I got to spend time with him during COVID. And one of the conversations we had is he was so stoked that COVID was actually happening in a, in a not that bad way. But he, for the first time, he had a season because they were just going to have a little girl where he was going to be around because he travels most of the year. And so he was getting to see his daughter walk for the first time, and do things that he never would have been able to do. He's this family guy who loves the Lord, and he was even telling me, he's like, hey, I'm not even throwing right now. I'm not even going to throw because I am so present right now with my family. So how much do you know? How many times have you been on the field for a game? But we all know the Oakland A's, right? The same sense, we can say, well, I know God. How many of you know God, Right? I know God. Well, let me tell you about him, you would say to me. Well, we're talking about attributes. I'll use the one you just used. God is love. It's a good job. He is, yeah. But can we get deeper there? I, um, Valentine's Day is one of these really goofy holidays. <laughs> 
It's so good if you got a Valentine, it is not good if you don't got a Valentine, right? It's like this holiday that we invented. And you always have these interactions to understand, like, about another person. Because you write these letters, you spend time with them. And, and so I got to talk to a, a friend one time, and I was like, what do, you, what do you like about Alex? She said, well, he smells good. Okay? That's good. I mean, it's better than the opposite, <laughs> right? Well, what else? He's so sweet. Okay? That's good. And so then we write a card. Cue the music. Dear Alex, you smell good. Alex, you are sweet. It's good. <laughs> right? So, like, what do we know? Oh, thanks. <laughs> so, what do we know, right? If I was to go to you and be like, you were gonna, you were gonna say to me, like, what do you love about your Valentine? You'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're talking about my lover? Like, you're talking about the love of my life? I mean, how much time do you have? Like, how long of a list can I give you? Do you want to know just about today? Do you want to know just about the things that I love from this last week? Do you want to know about the things that I've gotten to learn about this person in the last 20 years as I've dove in deeper and seen the way that they love and they care for others and they're patient and they're always thinking of someone else and they're willing to jump in? I mean, come on, let's go. You might even get some tears out of me here in just a minute. Friends, I think the tough part is, is you ask the average Christian, what do you love about God and you're not going to get back, how long do you have? How long do you have? And you sit there and you're ready to write this letter and you're like, okay, well, let me write this letter. Well, I love his grace. I got that one down. His grace is good. Number two, can I do grace twice? Like, I like grace a lot. It's really good. Um, and his mercy and his love. Did I mention grace? Oh, ah, that one time you helped me when I was in a bind. That's it. Helped me. That's an attribute, right? Friends, instead of saying, oh, you're talking about my lover. You're talking about my savior. You're talking about my God. You're talking about my Valentine right now. My one true love. You're talking about my mono village you're talking about my city or that skill, my specialty. If you got an hour, do you have an hour? I would love to tell you about the love I have about how much I know my God. Now, I want to say that knowing God in this in-depth way um, and knowing him all the way and completely is impossible. He's infinite. Or this analogies of the A's is that we use to construct to go layer by layer by layer, because God is spirit. He's infinite. But it gives us all a picture of knowing something more than just a general sense. I know God is gracious. Let's dig in and unpack that and truly understand that. And if there is a God of infinite greatness, and if he is inviting you and I to come and to know him intimately, and friends, there is nothing more, nothing more valuable in your life, 
nothing more rewarding in your life than your full-on pursuit of knowing him. Friends, God knows you, and he wants to be known by you. So to kind of wrap this up and follow up for this week, for you to be able to have conversations with uh, friends or family or on the way you go from here, you can take out your phones, you can take a picture of this, you can write it down in the app. I'll point this out up on the screen. Here's a couple questions for you this week. How are you living in your knownness? How are you living in your knownness? Are you living it out? Are you chasing and carrying this weight uh, that others are putting on you just to make sure that you feel known and loved and heard? Or are you living in the comfort and the love of being known by the God of the universe? How are you pursuing the God that knows you? How are you pursuing him back and chasing him down, trying to know him at a deeper level? And finally, what next steps are you going to take to engage in his story that started long before us, that's going to continue on long after us, but living in this moment, in this opportunity of being known by God, how can you continue in that story? I think in response, this is a good time for us to stand and to worship and proclaim what God has spoken over us, to us, and through us.